You're listening to the podcast of Christ Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. We hope these sermons help you to know God through Christ by deepening your belief in the gospel. The reading this evening comes from Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 12. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salimus, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elimus, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was, called, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately, mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray, Christ Church. Lord, we need you. We need you to speak. We need you to speak to us your word. We need you to straighten out crooked lies that we've believed in our hearts and minds with your truth. We need you to send us out from here when we're done today to teach your gospel to others. And we need you, you alone, to save more people from sin and into glorious friendship and your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Hey everyone, my name is Clint. Um, just one of the pastors here, Christ Church. Um, it's a joy to bring the word today and to preach from it to you and for you and for myself and to dig into it. I don't know if you heard this week, uh, but recently there was in Australia. You guys remember when Aust- there was a billboard that like Australia was going to be like the defining tragedy of 2020 and like, like the fires and stuff. And no one even remembers there were fires in Australia now because of how awful 2020 turned out to be. But recently in Australia, there was this uh, family in their, in their backyard and this demonic creature slithered into the yard and um, was set on stealing and killing and destroying. And yet one of the family members, uh, Arthur, uh, made his way toward the, this creature while the children moved away and put himself between the children and this creature and engaged this creature uh, with some offense and actually bit this creature and was uh, consequently bit himself. And sadly, Arthur died. Um, the creature was an eastern brown snake, one of the most poisonous in Australia. And Arthur was the family cat. And it is really twisted how many of you are happy right now 
that it wasn't a dog and that it was a cat instead. And also, cat lovers, you have to be honest. You did not see that coming. A cat, a cat sees a snake, it's like, I'm out of here. Like, fend for yourself, kiddos. The dog, the loyal dog. Well, after this um, sobering uh, story last week, I'm going to get back to what I was talking about. The sobering story of, of, of Peter being imprisoned, Herod being struck down for self-idolatry. We're back in this big cosmopolitan city of Antioch that, that Nathan was uh, sharing with us about two weeks ago um, in Acts 11. And, and lots of people are coming to Christ in Antioch, right? Lots of people are repenting of sin, believing the gospel, becoming Christians, being identified as Christians. And the, and the leaders there are, 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 are circling the wagons a bit and saying, we need to teach people. We need to grow together. They're not leaving them out in the cold to fend for themselves as, as new, uh, newly labeled Christians, little Christs. But all along the way, throughout the church's history, and even from this very beginning, the inklings of the first churches in the New Testament, uh, his church, his people, his leaders, have had to have this, yes, defensive posture against false teaching and the poison of lies that can creep into existing churches, but also this longing to go out and to go on offense against false teachings that rule the day among the nations that keep people in the bondage of poisonous and deadly lies. And to go out, the church is to undo those lies and to speak truth to captives and to help them see that there is relief from their sin guilt. And though we'll see in the text today, or at least we'll be tempted to see Paul doing a lot of this work that I'm talking about now, Really, what we're going to see in this text is the Holy Spirit doing four specific things. The Holy Spirit is going to speak. The Holy Spirit is going to send. The Holy Spirit is going to straighten. And the Holy Spirit is going to save. So let's dive right into our text. Number one, the Holy Spirit speaks. We heard Michelle read, but I'm going to read again. Acts 13, just verse 1 to 2. Now there were in the church... Uh, at Antioch, prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius uh, of Cyrene, uh, Menaean, and li- uh, this lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and, and Saul, right? Saul, who we call Paul in the Greek world. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, and we've got quotes around words that the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Let me ask you this. What kind of church hears so deliberately and clearly and motivatingly and and definitively and powerfully from God's Holy Spirit like this? Well, apparently, according to these verses, at least one that has prophets and teachers. Maybe we can uh, uh, put something, we will, we will put something in the weekly email that that helps you further discern between what is legitimate, um, sort of prophecy and this gift of prophecy that the New Testament speaks of Uh, fairly frequently, but for our time and purposes, suffice it to say that when the scripture canon closed, so when the last words of the book of Revelation were written, the last books of the Bible were written, the last books of God's authoritative, objectively authoritative, infallible, inerrant word were written and finished and recognized eventually by the early church uh, that, 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 that recognized that Jesus's delegated his eyewitness apostolic authoritative word um, was settled forever in these 27 books of the New Testament, right? 
and their unpacking of the rest of the books in the Old Testament. When that happened, when that canon closed, by then the equivalent Old Testament gift of spontaneous, authoritative, dude, you better get your pen and write this down because God said it was over. It had definitely ended. And anyone who believes that people are saying that kind of prophecy, equal with the Bible level of thus saith God today, they are trying to sell you something. And they have skipped right over Hebrews chapter 1 that says, long ago and many times and in various ways, God spoke to us by his prophets, but now he has spoken to us by his son. They're probably trying to sell you Mormonism. They're probably trying to sell you Jehovah Witness. They're trying to sell you that or any other cultish or constantly changing with the times revelation that falsely claims or that it carries equal authority with the Bible and it just does not. So what are we left with? We are left with a couple of options. We're left with um, this, this gift of prophecy in the New Testament that was either transitional for a time uh, in nature, while, while the early church didn't have this complete New Testament to go to for the authoritative word of God, or this gift morphed into a not as authoritative, but still pretty darn helpful insight from God into one another's lives for the sake of edification and encouragement that, that according to 1 Corinthians 12, ought to be pursued very carefully and used and tested, according to the book of Thessalonians, very carefully. Um, and it also should always be checked against God's final and authoritative revealed word in the finished Old and New Testaments. Now, I personally haven't experienced that. At least I don't think I have. But um, those who would say it has ceased altogether would say that now the gift is essentially preaching from God's word too and taking the word that we do have and making it relevant and explaining its meaning and applying it together. And, and, and that's something we should pay close attention to here. It's important to remember that the church in Antioch had no New Testament letters or books. They had the stories and teachings of Jesus from his disciples and they were teaching the church in Antioch. They had the Old Testament that they knew from Jesus was all about him and all pointing to him. And friends, this is the kind of church, whether they had it in writing yet or not, we do have it in writing. This is the kind of church I think that the Holy Spirit consistently speaks to. So you may be thinking, wow, it'd be nice if the Holy Spirit spoke to us like that. He is speaking to you. You have it in your home. You have it on your phone. We have it here in this pulpit every Sunday. We have the authoritative word of God, quote unquote, Holy Spirit speaking to us. We can say, thus saith the Lord, when we unpack this Bible and we, 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 we seek to make the main point of this scripture, the main point of what we're believing and the main point of what we're saying. And you should be good Christians and test what we're saying week in and week out according to that truth because it is not our authority that we speak with it is the authority of God's word his written quoted infallible inerrant word so Christ church this is the kind of church you're the kind of church that the Holy Spirit speaks to how else would we have so many canvases on those pillars how else would we have so many faithful Jesus followers in these pews who are eager to proclaim the gospel to their friends. When God uses his church to gather around God's word, the nations come running in and, and messengers go running out. And how cool that uh, this church in Antioch, in this, in this big city, was, was growing in such sweet 
diversity. As can be expected in a bigger city like Antioch, there were folks coming from uh, all sorts of experiences and ethnicities and demographics and socioeconomic situations, and they were coming to Christ. They were growing together, and some of them were uh, growing into leaders and turning and leading the others. We've got Barnabas from this palm tree-covered uh, island of Cyprus. You've got Simeon called Niger, most likely a black brother from sub-Saharan Africa. You've got Lucius, a Greek dude from North Africa. Manaean grew up with Herod. So think upper snobby Jewish ruling class. And you got Paul, this religious, radical, former, head-hunting Pharisee from Central Asia. What a gift that nations who have traditionally tried to wipe one another off the map are now in a church together in fellowship, rolling out maps, trying to decide together where they're going to go to take the gospel. And you can imagine Barnabas saying, let's take it to my people. Let's take it to Cyprus first. And Albuquerque is no Antioch, Albuquerque is no LA or New York, but we should give thanks. We should give thanks for the diversity that we have experienced, even here. We should be thankful that we have Borqueños, that we have Navajos, that we have Texans. Yes, we should be thankful for the Texans. We should be thankful for folks from the South and Midwesterners, Northwesterners, East Coast, West Coast. Makes me want to sing that song from the lakes of Minnesota the hills of Tennessee, across the plains of Texas, from sea to shining sea. I sang that in sixth grade. We sang that out. It got a little too prideful after that, but whatever. Stay humble. Stay humble. And not just the states, right? We've got people uh, from the four corners of the earth sitting in our pews right now and across the history of our church have come in and gone out. We've got people from North Africa, Sub-Saharan Africa, East Central and South Asia, Europe, Native American peoples, Central America, South America, and lest we forget, I think Chris Sanchez is out in the hallway. Chris, you out there? Yeah, baby. Our Puerto Rican. Our Puerto Rican. Unity, right? Unity in diversity is a beautiful benefit of gospel work. And this was happening in Antioch, and guys, we're thankful that we have a slice of heaven right here at Christ Church. Let's all be thankful for that. Let's see what else we can learn from this slice of heaven. They, they were fasting. They were fasting. Should we just skip this part? Maybe, uh, maybe we should have skipped lunch. That's a fasting joke. Come on. No, no, no. Okay. So let's take a minute to get our bearings when it comes to fasting. I know uh, it, 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 it's nothing. It's something that we don't generally. If you're already embracing this in your own life, and man, good for you. Come talk to me. Disciple me in fasting. Um, from the Old Testament, when we survey the Old Testament, from the personal fasts of Moses. And Ezra, to the corporate fast called for by Esther and Joel. Uh, we, we, it seems that fasting pops up most frequently when, when sin is being realized and, and being repented of and being mourned, and, and then sinners are being humbled in light of the magnificence and wonder and holiness and judgment and mercy of God, and they need God to do something miraculous and powerful for them, right? So, so there's this longing for God. There's this realization of God more and more, and there's this longing for him to do more and show his power all the more. And then when Jesus shows up, right, he fasts before he heads out into the desert. He's fasting while he's in the desert for 40 days and 40 nights. He remembers God's people in Israel when they came out of Egypt, and he remembers when they got hungry, 
they didn't listen to their hearts that should have been worshiping God and trusting in him. They listened to their bellies and fell away from God, right? And, and he didn't want to fall in that same temptation, but he wanted to embrace self-denial. And so he drew closer to the Lord and rejected his physical wants in that moment so that he could draw closer to the Lord and be faithful where Israel was unfaithful. And in Antioch, we got this fairly new church with folks left and right coming to know Jesus and following him. And no wonder they were fasting. Who can eat when there's so much more to learn about God? Who, who can eat when there's so much more sin to reject? There's, there's so much more of Jesus to have. And there's so many more other lost people to, to go and tell that need to hear. Who has time to make a big meal for this group? Let's just put the meal aside, right? Notice carefully here what it says they were doing with their fasting. They were worshiping. They were worshiping. <sighs> There's a lot of people fasting in our culture right now. But notice it says they were worshiping. They were not manipulating. They were not placating. They were not posting. They were not pandering. They were not peddling some sense of, of, of this disconnected sort of God, twisting God's spiritual arm or even socially cheered spirituality. It's not what was going on here. They were so focused on worshiping Jesus and, and that, that, that stopping to make food for themselves and one another was unthinkable. They were eating up God's word. They were trusting in Jesus as the bread of life. They were metabolizing truth and turning it into energy for mission and worship. John Piper once said this, at its root, fasting is the hunger of a homesickness for God. And Don Whitney goes on in his wonderful little book on spiritual disciplines to say, fasting sometimes seems the only way to answer the ache in our hearts for the consummation of all things, for the time when we are at last with God and all things are restored and made new and made right. Don't you long for that? That's worth giving up a meal for to focus on. So it sure seems like God expects us, his people, to hunger for his holiness more, to hate sin more, to strive in faith more, so much more intentionally, so much more deeply, and even to lay off food temporarily to focus on Jesus would make sense in many of our lives, maybe all of our lives. I, let me just say I'm bad at this. Even on the way here, I'm picking up Nico from this thing he's got to do, and I'm hustling over here, and we're running a little late, and I'm like, what do I need right now? Not extra time to pray and, and to dial in on the sermon and dial in on his word and, and just let God work on me. I need a burrito. That's what I need. And my boys just let me run in the store and get a burrito. They didn't say, hey, man, aren't you preaching on the fasting today? Shouldn't you? Nope. But now they will, I'm sure. Except maybe, I mean, who knows, maybe, maybe, this is a heart issue, right? Maybe, maybe fasting has fallen on hard times because worship has fallen on hard times. Maybe I love food more than I love Jesus. It's worth thinking about more, it's worth praying about more, but it's not the main point of this text, so we got to move on. So we got this worshipful church checking all these successful boxes of a new church plant. Now what? The, the corporate church mentality would say consolidate power. And, and increase the margins, reduce costs, rebrand, stay edgy, more smoke, more lights, more lasers, more cowbell. Spend more, yeah, that's Chris laughing. Yes. Spend more time with each other only. Don't go out from there. Don't waste your time on other stay inside. Keep your leaders, consolidate your leaders. 
Paul and Barnabas together had years of training and experience in ministry by now. And, and, and Paul, remember when he was converted, was told specifically that he would take the gospel to the Gentiles. So I don't think it came to any surprise to the church in Antioch when, when the Holy Spirit spoke up, either through the prophets that they had in the, tech, in the, in the church, or, or perhaps out loud in their service when they were worshiping and fasting. We don't know. But he said, don't get too comfortable with those leaders of yours. I've got a different plan for them. And this reminds me, this reminds me of a dear friend, Rodrigo Barrera, who, who went to be with the Lord a few years back. Um, he repented of sin and became a Christian in the late 1960s. He was a, he was a, 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 a member of the Youth Communist Party in Mexico. And it was kind of on the verge of taking hold. And um, it didn't, praise God. And, and he, he, he was disenfranchised by it. And, and, and he longed to help people. He really did long to help people and, and help the oppressed. And yet the gospel, somebody hit him with the gospel. The Holy Spirit hit him with the gospel. And he could have been a wonderful minister in Mexico for many, many years. But the Holy Spirit had different plans uprooted him, took him to Guatemala, the remote mountains of Guatemala with the Rabanalachi people in order to translate the Bible, the New Testament, into their language. He and his wife, Carol. Carol had, had a wonderful ministry going on as well. She administered to many different peoples, even Native American peoples here in the States. She's from Wyoming, full of wisdom, and God took them and placed them in the mountains of Guatemala to bring the word in a new way there. And I remember one time when we were down doing pastoral trainings, and Rodrigo was sort of our go-to for getting things done, and, and eventually he started handing things off to a brother, a Ravenalachi brother, Eder Ishkopal. Um, and I, st I started asking him, like, hey, Eder's really doing a lot of the work now these days, huh? And he said, and, and Rodrigo had already raised up multiple generations of faithful Christians and leaders, and he said, you know, in the New Testament, at first it was Barnabas and Paul, and then it was Paul and Barnabas. And this is kind of the text that we see that transition happening. And it reminds me of these brothers among the nations. And this duo of Barnabas and Paul actually reminds me of another dynamic ministry duo. I remember when a voice from the sky said, set aside Clint for the work I've called him. His voice was not as holy and as spirity as the one in this text necessarily, but uh, it was still pretty clear we were out scraping paint off the house in the property of Western Indian Ministries out of Window Rock uh, on a youth mission trip for Desert Springs Church. And the missions guy was down doing some stuff with the tools. That was me. The youth guy was up on the building scraping stuff and spoke down and the sun was behind him. I thought maybe it was the Holy Spirit speaking. He's like, have you ever thought about planting a church? And I was like, nope. <laughs> and that should have been that. But it wasn't that. The Lord moved in our hearts. And I think the Lord moved in his, in, in Nathan's um, question to, to move in our hearts to come and plant. And it's, it's, it's been four years, right? Four and a half years of working this close with him in this fun Barnabas and Paul-like ministry. And we all know, no relationships are perfect, but it is sweet. And I am thankful, brother. And I know you're thankful. And we are so thankful for Kyle and Ryan, our fellow elders here, and for Kyle Stevens now on board with us and the elder board. And we look forward to more elders in the future to come. And we couldn't have done this. Paul, Barnabas and Paul couldn't have done this without John Mark. And, and forget that John Mark abandons them later. But we, God gave us 70 people from Desert Springs. We could have stayed there, right? We could have both been like, let's just, come on. We're, it's nice here. We're learning. Things are growing. People are coming to Christ. The Spirit wanted more. This is more. Rejoice, Christ Church. This is more. 
Praise God for this. And thank you to the, again to those 70 folks who came and helped us start Christ Church. We couldn't have done this without you. That's what the Spirit does. He doesn't let us circle the wagons. He sends us out. I remember back in those Desert Springs days, Trent Hunter, one of the guys on staff there said, uh, it was during a missions emphasis week, we were about to send the G's and the C's out to the mission field. And he was kind of taken back, Trent was, because he was new to Desert Springs. He was like, Clint, this isn't normal. Like, not all churches, not many churches do this. Like, raise this much money, this much excitement, this much focus on missions. He said, do you know, I want you to know, you should know, Clint, that this kind of energy and focus and sacrificial giving toward missions and raising up of families from within comes to a church that is weekly digging into God's word. That's the kind of soil that missionaries come out of. That's the kind of soil that prompts people to go share the gospel with their neighbors, to go share the gospel with the nations. Which brings us to our next point. The Holy Spirit sends. Holy Spirit sends. Verse 3, you notice that uh, it says the church sends them out. And then verse 4 says the Holy Spirit sends them out. So which is it? Is the church sending them or is the Holy Spirit sending them? The answer is yes. They are both sending them. The Holy Spirit uses healthy, growing, godly local churches to raise up and send out workers to the nations. Every believer and every local church is called to be a part of the Great Commission, and Antioch was no exception. In fact, they were probably the best first example of this. And missionaries don't send themselves. I've worked with a lot of mission agencies across the day, and, it's, and used to in conferences, you go to a missions conference, they'd be like, you feeling that tug? You feeling that tug of the Lord to go to missions? Come on up here. Sign up. We'll get you to the field. Go home and tell everyone that you know that they need to pay for you to go to the field. Thankfully, just a few years ago, some of you were there. I was at a different kind of conference that said, oh, you feel that tug of the Lord, do you? Go back to your local church and ask them if you qualify. And David Platt at a different conference, he used to be the leader of the International Mission Board, he said, Southern Baptist churches, stop sending us people that you would not even let lead a Bible study in your church. The Spirit expects us to send out people who are leading people and who want to go and lead people. So are you growing and leading people? We want more growth in leading people. We are here as your pastors to equip you to lead one another, to serve one another. You are all potential missionaries. I thank God for the International Mission Board and for Pioneers who helps us send out some of our canvases over there because they understand the centrality of the local church and the involvement of the local church in sending out workers to the nations. It is a unique desire to want to be a pastor. It is a unique desire, yes, to want to be a cross-cultural missionary. And having that desire is the first qualification for both of those positions. And yet it is the only one that is subjective and really up to you. The rest of them are objective and outside of you, and they are listed in Scripture. And so we take that very seriously as a local church when it comes to appointing pastors, elders, even deacons, and missionaries. So let us be a part of that conversation. If you read things like Acts 13 and you get excited and want to go, let us be a part of that conversation and help you. Let us help equip you for that task. It is our joy to be able to do that, and it is our joy to see more canvases on the pillar soon. In fact, let me just take this opportunity to announce to you that Miss S has reached her fundraising goal and will be commissioned next Sunday, Lord willing, to go and join the G's and the C's and Miss V in the field. And we're excited about that. We're going to miss her, but we're going to send her out 
like the Antioch church sent out their best, we're going to send out and keep sending out our best. And just a few weeks after that, Miss P will come back from her training from Virginia. And we'll send her out too. And what a joy it will be to continue to reinforce the E's and the V's in their mission. Thank God that the Pauls and, uh, and Barnabases are out there. Thank God that there are more Pauls and more Barnabases in here and that we can send them out. Let's do that. Number three, the Holy Spirit straightens. So you got this crazy magician here uh, in this third section. Luke uh, introduces us to some, some new characters. Bar-Jesus, that, means, that just means son of Jesus. Jesus was a common name in those days. So, so Elimas, uh, wait, what does it actually say? I wrote it down wrong here. Mm-mm-mm. Elimas, yeah, that's how I say it. Elimas, Elimas, son of, son of Jesus. Common name in those days. Not the actual son of Jesus, our Jesus. So don't get tripped up by that. But dude was a magician, sorcerer, fortune teller, and, and he was claiming to be of some spiritual value, even, even uh, maybe spiritual, maybe even genetic descendants from Abraham and Isaac, yet doing exactly what the God of Abraham and Isaac told his people never do. Never dabble in sorcery, black magic, never do it. So this is demonic stuff going on. And, and not only was he peddling uh, Eastern mystic demonic powers to entertain this, this proconsul, this governor, this Roman official in Cyprus. He was also known as a false prophet. He was saying things and saying God said them, and then they weren't coming true, or they were proving to be false. And people knew it. No wonder this intelligent uh, proconsul wanted to hear more and heard of this guy, Paul and Barnabas, coming across the island of Cyprus and said, I want to hear them. Come teach me. Come tell me what you have to say. What did you think would happen when Paul bumped into Elimus? Think he'd be like, uh, listen, proconsul, Paulus, uh, Sergius Paulus, Bar-Jesus got his truth. I've got my truth. Keep searching. You'll find yours too. Is that what Paul says to them? Does he say, look, we can agree to disagree on these issues, right? I mean, we all worship the same God, right? Let's just, let's just get along. Let's just live and let live. Maybe, uh, maybe he was tempted to that, but maybe he remembered Micah's words back in his day, the prophet Micah, Micah who, who, was, who was calling out false prophets who were saying there was peace when there was no peace to Israel. Micah says, Therefore shall be night to you without vision and darkness to you without divination. The sun shall go down on the prophets and the day shall be black over them. The seers shall be disgraced and the diviners put to shame. Isn't this exactly what Paul did to Elimus? He was filled with the Holy Spirit. He wasn't filled with the word of his day. He wasn't filled with this desire to placate one another and just all get along. He was filled with the Holy Spirit, guys, and we're filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul said he was compelled by that Spirit to straighten out this false prophet with some very aggressive, very revealing language. And, and he just looked straight at him and he said, you're the son of the devil. You're the son of the devil. You are doing the devil's work. You are distorting the work and the word of of God. And you're distracting this man and probably countless others from having faith that they ought to because of your lies. You are against what's right. You are a bad guy that no one should listen to. You are robbing people of the opportunity to believe. You are robbing God of the glory that he deserves. Now, Paul, obviously, we read on. He does not talk to every unbeliever this way. And we ought not to talk to every unbeliever this way. He saves this most aggressive attitude and wording and reality even 
for those who are intentionally leading people away from the gospel. This should be a sobering call to us as pastors to never, ever, ever do this. It should be a sobering, never do what? Never teach falsely. It should be a sobering call to you as Christians to keep your ear out for false teachings. Run from it, grab your, grab your kids, grab your wife, run from it. Grab your friends, run from it, stay away from it. There are so-called preachers and teachers who you, perhaps, or perhaps people you know, believe are Christians. They are leading thousands, if not millions of people away from the truth of the gospel and away from true faith. I'm talking about the Kenneth Copelands. I'm talking about the Benny Hens, the Joyce Myers, the Bill Johnsons, the Joel Osteens, the Todd Whites, just to name a few. And if you want a wonderfully helpful treatment of their twisted so-called ministries in contrast to the simple gospel by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, as revealed in the scriptures alone, to the glory of God alone. Let me recommend what we watched last night as a family, two and a half hour documentary. I know that feels long, but it's worth it. It's like three documentaries in one, actually. It's called The American Gospel, Christ Alone. The American Gospel, Christ Alone. We will link you to it in the weekly email. It's kind of old. It was found in 2018. I don't know how I missed it, but, but a former Christ Church member of, my, of, of ours just sent it to me uh, several months ago, and I put it off way too long, and I'm sad about that, and I'm so thankful to have watched it and been reminded. Maybe you have friends and family members who are dabbling in, being distracted by some of this wicked, false prophecy magic that's going on in the world. Perhaps you should look this wickedness straight in the face, watch this documentary, learn a bit more about it, and, and better steer yourself and others away from these lie-pushing deceivers. We need to, as a people, as a sent-out gospel-proclaiming people, reject what is false and embrace what is true. And we need to be the kind of people that go out into a community with the truth on our lips. We need to be the kind of people that are not afraid to talk about what is not true and talk about what is true and distinguish between the two we need to be building relationships, sharing the gospel here in Albuquerque. People want to hear God's word. I've lost count of people in my life over the last 10 years or so who I've just asked, do you want to read the Bible? And they're like, sure, let's do it. One time it didn't work out that way. I was lifting weights and I'd only played basketball with a guy a couple times and I was feeling so bold because somebody else had just said it and I was like on the tricep machine and, and I was like, so you want to read the Bible with me? He's like, nope. I was like, our friendship was kind of, we didn't have a friendship. That was the problem, I think. We, we weren't, I didn't know the guy. He's like, no, weirdo, keep lifting your lightweight over there. <laughs> Question is, are we looking, right? Are we looking for opportunities to help people hear about the one true God? Are we looking for opportunities to help dispel the lies that people have believed and that they're captivated by? We can help equip you. You may not feel equipped. You may be like, what do I say? What do I do? There are people in our church. Lydia is sharing the gospel with people. Liz is sharing the gospel with people. Haley is sharing the gospel with people. Cedric is sharing the gospel with people. So many of you are sharing the gospel with people. Let's keep it up. Why? Because of our last point. The Holy Spirit saves people. Verse 12. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. This is a short point here. But... 
Here's the deal. He was deceived by lies. He came to understand the truth, and he believed. It does say that he was impacted by the miracle. Yeah, fair enough. He was, he was impacted by the darkness that came over Bar-Jesus. He was impacted by the, some power that Paul had. But it doesn't say he was converted by that. It says what? It says, for he was astonished. Another translation says he was, he was shaken to his core. By what? This crazy miracle? No, by the teaching of the Lord. The words that Paul and Barnabas were saying. The gospel. So, so we may be tempted to think, you know what? I mean, sure. God, do a miracle. Lord, do a miracle in the people's lives that I'm trying to reach uh, with the gospel. Do it, please. But realize, Christ Church, they don't need that. What they need is a Christian filled with the Holy Spirit to go and teach them the teachings of the Lord. That's what they need. They need people to share the gospel with people who've never heard it. And again, that's happening. There's inscriptions, in, uh, archaeologists have found inscriptions from the proconsul, Sergius Paulus. Um, and it indicates that his, his family was, were Christians. It happened. He became a Christian. And we can praise God. We will meet Sergius Paulus because of the faithfulness of Paul and Barnabas to share the gospel. Who is going to be in heaven because you shared the teachings of the Lord with them? Who is it? Who's your one? Who's your 10 that you're praying for right now? It's good to focus on one, right? I mean, it's intimidating. You're like, oh my gosh, I just want to share the gospel. One person this year. I want one person to come to know Jesus this year, as Nathan was challenging us to several weeks ago. Well, we're going to take some time now as a church and not just talk about sharing the gospel with people, but pray about it. I'm going to lead us, but I am going to intentionally leave a really awkward silence for any of you who might like to, to just say a name out loud, just a first name out loud of someone you are longing to or already sharing the gospel with. And you're just praying that the Lord would do his work through his teaching, through his spirit to save them. So I'm going to start praying. And at some point, I'll stop talking. And then after some names are said from you all, say them loud and clear. You got your mask on? Won't hold it against you if you pull your mask down and say it real loud? but let's lift up some names of people that we want to see come to Christ like this proconsul did in the text today. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that your Holy Spirit might continue speaking to us as we read and walk through your word in our homes, with our families, with each other, gospel communities, in our rooms alone, at our dinner tables. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would send more of us out to the nations as you seem to be moving in hearts already. Lord, we pray you send more of us boldly and clearly, courageously to our neighbors, to our family members, to our friends with the gospel on our lips. Lord, use us to straighten out truth from lie. And Lord, do what only you can. Turn souls, save souls as they trust in you. Lord, we lift up the following names to you, Lord, that you might do a miracle in their souls by saving them, and you might do a miracle in our souls by going to them. I lift up Cindy, and I lift up Riley.
Also lift up to you, Lord John and Paul and Jack. Father, we lift up their names to you because we know that under our own power, we wouldn't even want to share the gospel with them. We wouldn't have a gospel to share with them. We wouldn't have a gospel we believe unless you had come into our lives and interrupted our days like you did, Sergius Paulus. Lord, interrupt more people's lives. Cause us to worship you and hunger for you more and lean into your word and value you above all things and be bold with the gospel with these people. Lord, we lift up them to you so that you might do a powerful work. We know it's your will. You get to choose. You get to decide. Yet, Lord, we ask that you'd be faithful to us by making us be faithful to you and faithful to them by preaching the gospel to them and giving them a chance to hear it, Lord. Lord, let them hear your gospel through us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope you have been encouraged to deeper life in Christ through the preaching of this sermon. For more information about Christ Church, visit www dot Christchurchabq.com